hustlers, road players, tournament champions. Hear the stories, get their advice, learn about their lives. Our host, Joey Ryan, brings you an inside look at the professional pool player. You're listening to the Pool Player Podcast, brought to you by Pool Scene 365. Hey guys, Joey Ryan, Pool Player Podcast, Industry Edition, brought to you by Pool Scene 365. Tonight we have a great show for you. We have an old friend of mine, Chad Shoulders. I competed against him several times in Colorado. Uh, good amateur player, but he really wants to try to do something good and new and unique for the sport of pool. And so he started a company called Havoc Productions, and he's got some pretty big ideas and some pretty big plans. So I wanted to get him on the podcast and interview him so that you guys could hear what it's all about and really get your feedback on it. And so some of the topics that we dove into today were really how Chad got his start with pool, uh, his some of his sponsored players. Uh, he already has Roberto Gomez as a sponsored player. Uh, Danny Olson, good player out of South Dakota, and a junior player by the name of Cash Lance. So we dove into those relationships that he's building there. We also talked about what Havoc is and how it's going to work, whether you're a player or a tournament director or even a professional, you know, what is what's in store for you. And so take a listen. Uh, let me know what you think in the comments. This is one of those where I'm sure we're going to get a lot of comments. We'll have people who are like, hey, I'm pretty excited about this. And, you know, in the pool industry, sometimes we get people that are like eh, kind of naysayers. And so I'd really like to hear what you think. Uh, also, if you like it, hit, hit the like button, uh, share it. And please, if you haven't already, please go ahead and subscribe. If you're already subscribed, thank you so much. We just hit a thousand subscribers and we're not turning back. We're looking forward, uh, looking to grow this even more to grow the sport of pool. So thank you guys so much for your support. And now on to today's guest. Chad Shoulders. How you doing, Joey? It's been a long time. How you been? Oh man, it's it's. I've been great. I'm really busy with this podcast, and so happy to have you on to find out some of the stuff that you got cooking. Uh, you know, every time that we interacted, you always had ideas for the game, and I really think people are going to appreciate your latest idea. But before we get to that. You're quite a player in your own right. You're a very solid amateur player. I always had a hard time with you. <laughs> Every time we played, it seemed like I, I was scratching and clawing to try to beat you. And so how did you get involved in pool? Take us through that. Well, you know, it started when I was a kid and, uh, you know, saw a pool table in my uncle's uh, man cave and um, played a couple of games there, learned a little bit about it. And by 16, a friend of mine dragged me into a pool room and, you know, got me involved in a pool tournament. And somehow I won a race to one. You know, and I was hooked, you know, won the tournament. And, you know, after that, I was I was pretty much hooked on the game. And I played at a pretty high level all the way up until about 1996 when I was about 24 years old. Um, you know, just, again, I just gave away my age. And uh, the, um, the, the game took me, or I had to take myself out of the game, let's say. And, uh, you know, I didn't play another game from 1996 to 2012. Um, but being an entrepreneur... Um, you know, having built bars and restaurants, owned a few bars and restaurants, I saw the need for a pool room up in Longmont, Colorado, which is north of Denver. Um, and, uh, you know, so I dusted off my pool cues and walked into the only pool room around and, you know, 20-year-old tip on my cue almost and, you know, and asked to, you know, find out who the best player in town was and, um, you know, and off I went. I, I kind of fell in love with the game again I, I, as I tried to connect with people as I was thinking about opening this pool room. 
um, which I ultimately didn't open, um, but but it just got me back in, and it made me wonder, and it gave me that you know, okay, do I still have it? How how much how much do I still have? How much do, how much ground have I lost in 16 years? And um, the answer is a ton. <laughs> you know, but I ran around and I played in a lot of professional and open events all over the country just to see if I could get you know get close and. The reality is no, I'm not ever going to get there, get to that level. And um, but but my business acumen that you know that I have is always leading me into what's the next thing, what's the next thing. And as I played in all of these events and learned a little bit more about where the game had gone um, while I was away, I started thinking about you know new ways to improve it and um, ways to get it out there again. And you know it just seemed to have, like it lost a lot of ground while I was gone. And um, you know so so it, it led me to this, it led me to this venture. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I, I believe very strongly that the game just needs some really, really good leadership um, and some people with some business acumen to jump in and, 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 and turn things around. And that's not to say that I don't appreciate, respect, and love all the efforts that go into everything that people try to do to keep the game moving. Um, I just believe that there's, there's certain things that might give it a fresher look and a little better um, you know, may, maybe a little bit better view in the public eye, if that makes sense. Yeah. So take us from like the 50,000 foot view. What are you doing with Havoc Productions? Well, Havoc is, you know, basically a promotions company with, you know, that promotes all things Q sports, um, whether it's tournaments or exhibitions, um, you know, or, or some sort of challenge event. Um, it, it's, it's really anything and everything that needs to happen in order for the game to grow. Um, the, the basis of the whole Havoc concept is the blood, sweat, and tears tournament structure that we built um, that, that provides for anybody to be able to compete at, you know, at any uh, monetary level. Um, and you know, it gives people a fair, fair shot. And it doesn't just load up a certain um, certain group of players, you know, into taking all the money into a tournament um, or taking it away from the tournament and and leaving the lower ranked player out. It it creates a a level playing field for everybody to compete. And one of the slogans that we use is "How hard are you willing to work?" You know, and it's a qualifying system. So um, basically, you start at the bottom. Everybody starts at the bottom, and you work your way up. And you work your way into big tournaments. You work your way into medium-sized tournaments. You work your way into like we just promoted an, or just announced an exhibition yesterday, um, where you can use you know your success through the Blood, Sweat, and Tears program to um, to enter into events across the country. So one thing I want to address early on is um, this is for profit. You're going to make some money on this, and you know one thing I've noticed about pool in general ever since I've played is you know. People count up the entry fees, they count up the payouts, and if they don't match, then all of a sudden, oh, they're robbing the tournament. You know, like your 15 hours of running a tournament in one day, you don't deserve to get paid for that. So I want to give you a chance to address that and talk about, you know, the fact that it is for profit and how it kind of works with the money. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because one of my pet peeves ever since I got back into this game, um, and granted, I wasn't really involved in the production side way back when, I was more just a player. but the, the idea that people do these things um, and they have to advertise in pool, oh, I'm doing this with my own free time. Oh, I'm doing this as a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this voluntarily or um, I'll accept donations on my, you know, on the stream or, you know, I listen to all these things and I think, why would you do that? Um, just about every major sport is a for-profit situation. P- professional pool players want to make money. The production companies of 
you know, through the, you know, through the major sports, they want to make money and they're there to make money. There's nothing wrong with making money. And so, yes, it is a for-profit thing. And I can tell you, if I do everything perfectly, I'll probably net about eh, 11%. You know, um, it, it, and, and you know, and things will go wrong, and I won't do it perfectly. So it'd be even less than that. But one of the things that I did is I built this financial model. So I said, okay, how is this a sustainable model, so that it has some, it has some, some staying power within the communities that it's going to be looking to launch. Um, and I think to myself, okay, the first thing it needs is it needs quality tournament purses. The second it need, thing it needs it needs good technology. The third thing it needs, it needs good um, live streaming and television production. Um, it needs good marketing and advertising. And it needs people around the country to be able to direct the tournaments. Well, I'm not just going to call everybody that I know in those industries and say, hey, will you do this for free? You know, um, And maybe they would. But the problem is, is it would, it would probably have a very short shelf life for them. There's only so much volunteer work one can do before they get a little bit burnt out. So as we're paying tournament directors around the country to help us host qualifier events, and as we're paying streamers as part of our budgets, you know, to do the bigger events, you know, the cash events, um, it provides for a better production. If I have a budget for them, they can get the right equipment, they can spend the right time, they can do the right planning. They don't just show up and go, oh, I'm a volunteer. You know, and I, I really appreciate the volunteers that do stuff. It's amazing what people do on their own dime and with their own time. but. But a for-profit company, I, I, I won't ever apologize for that. Um, I'll be transparent about it, you know. But I'm, you know, I'm not gonna, um, I'm, I'm not gonna tell somebody, oh yeah, you know, we, we should all do this for free. That's one of the things that I believe is wrong with the sport. Yeah, I, I tend to agree, and you know, that's one of the reasons I asked that question is I wanted to, be, you know, give you the opportunity to have that transparency so that folks know right from the start. Because with any new idea in pool, you're going to have the naysayers, you're going to have the people that are like, oh, you know, what's he in it for, you know? And that's one of the reasons I want to have you on too is so that people get to know you and get to know what you're about. So take us through, you know, just right from the start, kind of the beginnings. I want to get involved. You know, I'm excited about this. I've seen you've already posted some big tournaments with some big cash prizes. So how would I go about getting qualified? I can't buy right into one of those cash tournaments, right? Uh, no, you certainly can't. It's a qualifying process, like I said before, and everybody starts at tier one. And then cash tournaments that are announced are announced at, at particular tiers. Um, and what we, what we did is I started it out small intentionally just so that I could make sure that it worked well, and we released Colorado which is where I live, so it's easy for me to manage. Um, and we created uh, the first of the, of the qualifiers at Tier 1 to get people moving. Um, we also have a good friend up in South Dakota, Joe Cooper, who um, wanted to help me launch South Dakota, so we went ahead and got that launched. So as we started um, pushing through these areas, um, I wanted to get an interest level from the people as we, as we started to develop this. What I found was in Denver, Colorado, there's a high concentration of lower ranked players that feel like they don't have an opportunity to play and compete without getting destroyed by somebody like you um, in a tournament, you know? So what we did is we released a tier three, almost an introductory. Typically what we'd like to ultimately get to is that tier four is where the cash events would begin. But as we launch a new territory, it makes sense to create an introductory event at the tier, at the tier three level. So we said, okay, we're gonna do a 16 player um, $4,000 purse, um, enter with a tier three token, and your Fargo rate can't be over 550. 
So, um, and that's a good way to introduce this to players that don't play, you know, they can't string four, five, six racks together. But they have an opportunity to compete for some real money. And that's limited to 16 players. Yeah, so... so, so that sorry. For that one, sure. Yeah, so if I'm a 540 Fargo living in Colorado and I want to get involved, so take me through purchasing a token and the actual qualifiers to get me to that th Tier 3 tournament. Sure. The first thing that you have to do is you have to go to HavocBilliards.com and you have to create an account. And so um, and by um, through creating that account, it gives you the ability to register for any of the events that you want to play in in the future. So you create an account and you buy a token. The first time you sign up, there's a one-time $20 fee that gives us the ability to get your name to the system. We're recording all of your data so that all your statistics will be kept so we can in some point later in the future we'll be launching a statistics page for you as a player. Um, so the, you buy a token on there and then you go to the calendar of events. Um, scroll down to the event that you're interested in participating in playing in and then you can enroll with that token. So if you wanted to play in a tier 3 event you would have to first enter a tier 1, finish in the top 25%. If you do you move on and you're awarded a tier 2 token then you use that tier two token to enter into a tier two event. And if you finish in the top 25% of that, then you are awarded that tier three. And if you're a Fargo 540, you can use that tier three to enter that $4,000 tournament, or you can test your pressure luck with that token and, uh, and try to get yourself a tier four token by finishing in a tier three qualifier. Are you limited to purchasing one token at a time and, and trying to just upgrade that token with different tournaments or can you purchase packages of tokens and just keep trying your luck? Well, I mean, that, that's a great question. Um, what um, I'm about to release is something about the player management philosophy and, 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 and best practices. Um, the idea would be, it would be an amazing thing. We've got this million dollar tournament that we want to launch or that we want to set off on January of 2022, about 14 months from now. Um, and that's a tier five level. It would be incredible if a player could buy a $30 token, win a tier one, win a tier two, win a tier three, win a tier four, enter the tier five tournament, play the million dollar tournament and win it. You know, what a story, turning $30 into $200,000 for first place. But um, the, all of our tournaments are handicapped, which means that every single match that you walk into, it's going to be pretty fair matchup. Um, so the idea that you would just go through and finish top 25% four times in a row, then go snap off a tournament is very unlikely. So the, the idea is management, token management. And so, yeah, you can buy five or six at a time. You can buy 10 at a time. And then our advice is work to where you have two or three tier two tokens before you try to push a tier three. Um, always have three or four tier three tokens before you push a tier four. Um, it's about building a token bankroll. Because what it does is it provides the player the opportunity to take advantage of situations that work for them. And, you know, for example, if you have three tier three, if you have five tier three tokens and you see an eight ball event at the tier four level and you don't necessarily play that well, you know, in eight ball, but you see a tier four or a tier five ten ball, well, you're a good rotation player. Well, perhaps you ought to work toward that ten ball event through qualifiers. And so it gives you some, as long as you have barrels to fire at these things, it gives you options. You know, if you see five tier three, or I'm sorry, five tier two eight ball events this weekend, 
but there's a few tier two or tier three eight ball events or ten, ten ball events. Sorry, the, the next weekend you can pick your poison. You can you can participate in which whichever level and whichever game best suits you. So it provides it doesn't limit the player. If that makes sense. Yeah, and so already you've gotten some really good traction with a few players that you're sponsoring. So can you talk about the players that you're sponsoring? Oh yeah, I'd love to. Um, the, the, there are three players that I've that I've signed to contracts. One is uh, one of my favorite players on the planet, greatest personality in pool in my view, and that's Roberto Gomez. Um, my timing could not have been more fortunate in that he has just turned it on in his one pocket game. Everybody knows how good he is at the um, you know in the rotation level, but uh, he is just a tremendous player. He's a great personality. He has a lot of integrity, and that's what I look for. Um, you know, I don't, and I don't, honestly, I don't need the best player on the planet in order to, uh, in order to sponsor them. What I have is a player that has character. Um, I have a player that's honest. I have a player that smiles and is, and, and is available to the public, um, you know, to tell jokes, answer questions, take pictures and, you know, really promote the game. And I couldn't be, I, I feel really fortunate to have Roberto. Um, looking forward to, to working with him in some really fun things. Um, yeah, you know, not to cut you off, Chad, but I just want to share this. When I was at the Texas Open not too long ago, I did. I don't know Roberto. I mean, other than just seeing him play on YouTube and stuff. And uh, I'm walking through the parking lot. I got my head down in my phone and I look up and he's right there. And I'm like, you know, a little starstruck. And he's like, hey, man, how's it going? Smiling. You know, he doesn't know me from anybody, you know, and just seemed like a genuinely cool person you know so i think you're right i mean i think that signing for you is going to be awesome because you know in terms of you know i had mike davis on and i said well what's some advice for getting sponsors and he said well you have to be a good player you always have to try your hardest you always have to be like someone who's going to be good for the company and just a good person and he pointed out like an oscar dominguez type right mm -hmm. and i think roberto i think you have that with him i think so too i'll tell you what the um, I had met Roberto a couple times in Las Vegas, um, and then but the first time I really interacted with him was in uh, at the White Diamond uh, tournament a few years back, and he watched me drop. I choked a nine ball against Kevin Chang two weeks after the guy wins the U.S. Open nine ball. He's playing and, and I'm playing him, and I dogged this nine ball, and he watched me do it, and I I might have had a chance. It was three three I think when I did that, and we're racing to seven, and if I, and it was my break. So, you know, next. So, I mean, I had a chance to beat him, and um, that was still on the winner side. And, uh, you know, and, and he saw me do it. He saw me shake my head, and I, he became my cheerleader wow. for the rest of the tournament. He was running. He felt so bad for me because he knew. You know, he knew that I just really blew it, and I had that chance, and I blew it. And he just, he was so positive about everything. It, it, the dude is infectious. And, you know, he's hilarious, but he's also very positive. And that's, you know, I'm just, I'm really lucky to have him, and I can't wait to do big things. Um, he's he's going to be good for this sport. And if I can put him on the right platforms, it's not just having him wear a shirt and, you know, and, and, and rep the brand and, and sign autographs. I want to put him out in places where he can grow the game. Yeah. And a personality like that, I believe that he can do that. Yeah. So, um, you know, he's, 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 he's a huge, huge add to have it. Yeah. The other guy that, that I just recently signed, if I jump into that, was uh, was Danny Olson. And um, I don't know, um, I, I think you know Danny, um, but there's a there's a lot of players that, that are people that don't know him. And I've been watching that kid since he was 19 years old, and he's 27 now. And uh, his commitment to the game, 
his commitment to be great is the reason that I signed him. Um, he is so serious about putting in the work and, um, and, and giving himself a chance. And, uh, um, so signing him was, was a, was a really a, um, an offer. I feel like it's an opportunity that a lot of other people that maybe have passed up on, on taking him under their wing, um, is, uh, I think they're going to, I think they're going to look back on that and go, maybe, wow, maybe we should have taken a closer look. This kid can play. And, um, not only can he play, he works hard. Yeah. Um, and he's a good human being. He's never in trouble. Um, he takes care of himself, you know, and, and he's become a good friend and I can't wait to work with him. Uh, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, getting him around the country to play in events and, and helping the way he helps juniors. I don't think that, uh, um, people see it. You know, I had him in, um, I had him in here in Colorado working with the, with the other guy that I signed, the younger player that I had signed. And there was a 13 year old kid sitting in, uh, um, in the corner. And he, he asked me who it was. I told him and everything else. And he says, well, maybe we can get a lesson. You know, maybe I can, maybe I can get a lesson from him. And I said, well, sure, you know, you could probably work something out. I'll find out. And so I walked over to Danny. I said, I'm going to introduce you to somebody. He's looking to get a lesson. He goes, well, what's he doing right now? <laughs> so awesome. Danny, worked, Danny worked with this kid for an hour and a half and didn't charge him a nickel. You know, and, you know, that, that's the, to me, that's one of the, um, one of the coolest things about him is he's just, he really, really loves the youth part of the game because that's where he came up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I think we're, there's going to be so many young players that get to take advantage of that. Yeah. So, and then the third kid that I signed, and he really is a kid, is Cash Lance. Um, he came to me uh, when he was 16, or his dad did, and said, "My this kid wants a lesson," you know. And I said, "Okay, well, um, you know, bring him over." So I brought him over, and I said, and I, I tried to talk him out of the sport completely. I just said, <laughs> "You're making a huge mistake," uh, you know. And I did everything I could, and, and and I said, "But if you're serious, show up at you know, show up at 3:30 on Tuesday," and this is like on a Friday. Well, he was there an hour early. He shows up. He couldn't wait to get started, and we didn't even—I didn't even let him hit a ball for the first lesson, because his his mechanics were so um, unconventional. Did you uh, should... did you Mr. Miyagi him like send the floor, paint the fence? <laughs> and uh, but I, I can only you know you know my level. I can only get I can only get a kid to a certain level. And um, I stripped him all the way down to his back foot, and we started over. Wow. And, and so I worked with him for about a year, year and a half. But then I got him involved with uh, working with Danny a little bit, Danny Olson. And uh, Rod- I know Rodney Morris has worked with him, and I got Johnny Archer to work with him a little bit. Um, John Schmidt spent an entire day with him. Um, he's had sparring sessions with Shane McMahon. Um, and, uh, um, and then the locals here, like Adam Cisneros, Adam King, they've, they've taken him under his wing a little bit because he's willing to put in the work. This kid is absolutely 100% about getting great at the game. And this kid, I'm not kidding, he's 17 years old, and he plays in a league on, uh, during the week, and then he goes off on the weekends, he's all over the country playing in tournaments, right? Mm. Um, he's playing, he plays right-handed, but he's decided that he wants to improve his left-handed game, so he's playing league left-handed. Wow. And he's going to be a monster. An absolute monster if he keeps it up and his attitude's good and everything else. So um, I'm thrilled to have him. I think Cash is going to be in the conversation in about three, four years, and people are going to be like, who is this guy? Yeah. So, you know, you've done a great job of signing those players. Uh, One thing I noticed about you, Chad, when I lived in Colorado, and even now, you know, you didn't know what I was planning to do with this podcast, but when you heard about it, you were like, hey, I know some people. And my Johnny Archer interview, I got a Rodney Morris one coming out soon, Kelly Fisher. 
these are all because of you connecting me with these folks. And so um, were you purposeful in the way that you networked with the different pro players that have come through Colorado and Wyoming? Take us through that. Well, I, what I can tell you is I'm just lucky. Um, I ran around the country for, as I told you, when I got back into the game, I was playing and everything. And, and those that know me know that I've, you know, I've got a big mouth and I can be pretty engaging and everything else. And so I'm, I, I'm not afraid to start the conversation. So, you know, I'll go up and introduce myself. You know, the first time I played in the Wyoming Open, you know, I think that's when I met John or Rodney. Um, you know, I think I met Oscar for the first time up there. Um, you know, met Corey Duell. Uh, I've played him 12 or 13 times since then. You know, he and I are, you know, every time I see him, I try to get into a conversation because you can always learn something. Um, same with Roberto. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just lucky. And, uh, you know, and the, because I've managed to create a few connections in the sport, I feel like I'm one degree of separation from any player. So if there's something I want to know or understand or help promote, like when I heard you were doing your podcast, when I heard you were doing your podcast, I thought, man, um, you know, I, maybe I can, maybe I can, you know, feed you some people because I'm fortunate. I'd be an idiot not to, um, not to take advantage of the op of, of of those relationships that have that have just been handed to me. I appreciate you know? it for sure. And, and, you know, well, Kelly Kelly Fisher and I have never met each other, but we've just networked through other people. And now I'm working. I think um, I'm, she told me I'm allowed to say this. She and I are working towards something really big. You know, to um, to create a, a really big Havoc women's event. And she would love to be the face behind that. And she and I are working out some details. I'm sure we'll get there. But, I, you know, when I wanted to play Shane, I just called it. And I played Shane some sets down at Abby's, you know, my wife's uh, pool hall down here in Broomfield. I'd call them and we played. How did that you phone know? call go? Take me through that. I mean, because I can't imagine. Like, I, so, you know, my son is a huge Shane fan. In fact, we went to bed last night watching Moscone Cup clips. We watched the match where he played against uh, Kazakis and made that combination to win the Moscone Cup. And so my son and I were watching that on my phone as I'm putting him to bed last night. He's nine years old. And he's like, you know, uh, when are you going to have Shane on to do an interview? And I'm like, that's like the golden goose, you know, like Shane. I, just, I can't just call Shane and ask him to be on the podcast. But you called him and got a match with him? How did that work? Well, you know, the way it worked is um, I I ran into him first round of the U.S. Open 10 ball a few years back. And uh, um, he and I have a good mutual friend, Mike Helmer, who owns matchups in Fort Collins. Yeah. And originally we were thinking about going up there and maybe trying to put something together. Well, um, we, we talked a little bit uh, um, when we were out there together because I was with Mike. And so Shane was hanging around with Mike. And I got to talk to Shane a little bit. Ran into him up in uh, – up in Wyoming in uh, in Rollins for the High Desert Shootout. Shane was there, and Abby and I were we were only engaged at the time. But she she walks in the room and she sees Shane and her jaw just drops, you know. And me being the guy that's not afraid of anything, I said, "I'll be right back." She goes, "Where are you going?" And I just walked over to Shane. And I said, "How you doing, man?" And he says, "Good." I said, "Hey, can I uh, can I ask you to come over and say hi to my fiance? She's you know you're her favorite player, you know, and and it would be great if we got a picture." And um, so he's sure. So we walk over. She's her jaw's still dropped. You should see the photo. I'll send it to you. It's hilarious. That's awesome. Um, you know, then we just started talking. And I, I told him, I said, you know, I just live down the street, down in, you know, right in Denver area. I said, we should play some sometime. He says, okay. What do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. I have to figure it out, but I'm going to need some weight. You know, and, and it was a couple months later. He came down and we played a couple sets for, I think I got the six in the break playing 10 ball. 
And um, I almost beat him the second time we played. He's come down to play me three times. He destroyed me the first time, destroyed me the third time, but I just about got him the second one. Wow. Um, and I lost 10-7, 10-8, but I broke dry six times and seven times. And then that, that's just death. You got to so, work on your break, Chad. I got to work at everything. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's the way. That's the way those things go. You know, you just have to have the. You know, I'm just outgoing, and I'm not. I'm not afraid to introduce myself to anybody. Yeah. You know, especially if you know if I if I want something. You know, and uh, you know, so that that's just kind of how it's gone for me over over the years. You know, um, it just I'm not afraid to 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 put myself in into the mix. Yeah, you know, a friend of mine told me. Um, sorry to interrupt, but a friend of mine just told me the other day, well, we're both friends with Adam King. Yeah. When he told we were talking about Havoc, uh, he says, he says, well, Chad, um, you actually might be able to pull this off because, you know, you, you, you're one of the personalities that can do it. He says, but just remember, you just entered the world of pool politics. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, I'm not afraid of that. I've been involved in stuff like this before, so. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it, it's kind of interesting, um, you know, kind of thinking through, like hearing, first of all, hearing you tell those stories and talk about people that I've played, like Adam King, Adam Cisneros, and Chris McDaniel. There's a lot of, so many good players around Colorado, so many good people. And you talk about going up to Shane and just asking for a photo. It says something about our sport that people don't see, or it's not in the stigma. The stigma is, you know, smoky pool halls and hustling and everybody trying to get an angle. But there's so many quality people that we have in the game. And, you know, finding a way to promote them is one of the reasons that I'm doing this, you know. And so, uh, yeah, so hook me up. I'd love to have Shane on here. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I salute what you're doing. I think anything that is good, anything that grows the sport and creates awareness for the sport or expands the sport is good for the sport. And I mean that about every league, yeah. um, about every challenge match, about every streamed match, about every podcast about you know just about every question that gets asked on a on a pool group you know what kind of tip do you like or whatever it's all good stuff yeah um a huge supporter of everything pool and um because i love the sport and i feel like it has a tremendous amount of growth potential if you think i mean there's what there's 25 million people that play golf on a regular basis in in, in the united states and there's 30 million people that play pool on a regular basis yeah but but the u.s open um like nine ball paid less than 50,000 to win it and 39th in the U S open golf tournament paid the same. Yeah. You know, it feels to me like there's, there's just, there's a huge gap that can be, if it's managed properly, um, can there's, there's huge opportunity. It takes people like you, um, to, to make the awareness, to create the awareness. It takes people like me to execute ideas. And if they work, they work. And if they don't, then move on to a better one. Yeah, that's the thing, right? The state that we're in, everybody looks at it and we're frustrated and we're kind of upset about it. But what it provides is just this huge opportunity. And so, you know, I heard your idea. I loved your idea. I wanted you to share your idea. There's other people with ideas out there. And so I think what's going to happen is as you act on your idea and have success and, you know, Ed from New Jersey, who's doing the, I think it's the NBA National Billiards League. And, you know, he does something, you know, eventually there's going to be opportunities for folks to come together, right? Find what's most successful and work together. So my position is to kind of get you guys some exposure for what you're doing. So let's go back to Havoc and talk about some things. Uh, one of the questions, or let me play kind of the devil's advocate side, right? Let me be the one who's, 
you know, going to be the sourpuss here. And so how much is a token to get started? What does the token cost? $30. Okay, so for $30, I enter a tournament. It's a tier one tournament. And at the end of that, I finish in the top 25%. I go home. I don't have any money, right? Mm -hmm. And then, but I use that token that I earn to go to a tier two. I play in that tournament, I finish in the top 25%, I don't have any money. Do you anticipate some challenges from players who, you know, even the ones that are having success and moving through the tiers, not getting paid out until they get to the higher tiers? Um, well, I, I do understand that that's going to be a hurdle that I'm going to need to climb uh, or, you know, climb over or climb or run through. Um, but the, the reality is that's one of the things that's wrong. Um, you know, if, if you think about it, in order to build the sport to, um, you know, a pretty magnificent level of payoff, um, it's going to, it, it takes more than just, oh, enter this tournament for $10,000. Well, no one's going to do it because no one has it. Um, so you have, to, you have to start somewhere. And so I look at it with the idea that, look, as long as I'm transparent with where things are going, and as long as I create opportunities for people throughout the whole process, there will always be something for that player. For example, um, you know, we introduced the tier three tournament uh, for the 550 and down. Um, well, that's something to look forward to. We also looked at, we also just released a tier four, a 16 player tournament, $16,000, 5,000 for first. You know, 16 players, 5,000 for first. Now, you start with $30. Well, if you were gonna enter that tournament, think about it, you'd be a $1,000 entry fee plus greens fees, admin fees, everything else, by the time you, you were going to get to a $16,000 prize pool, you'd be $1,300, $1,400 entry fee. Well, do you want to just pay that? No one does. So I look at it go through a qualifying series. People can do what's called building overlay through equity. And the, the idea would be, here's an example. If you wanted to, let's say you, you and I were absolutely equal and 14 others that were at 16 identical players played in a 16-player $100 format, $100 tournament. And we played that over and over and over again. That's a zero-sum game. So you're going to enter for $100, and you're going to every, you're going to win your fair share. You're going to place third, fourth, your fair share, and everyone's going to end up with the same money they started with. Well, if, if I, let's say 15 players enter for $100, but if I enter for 10 into a little qualifier, knowing that if I win it, that I get a that I get a, a shot at that hundred dollar tournament. If I, every time I win one of those qualifiers, I have just built overlay into that tournament for myself. Hmm. And so, when you understand that, you realize, okay, let's repeat that tournament 128 times. Um, you know, over time, the player that pays a hundred dollars every time is still in a zero sum game. The player that plays the qualifiers and qualifies through that is making a profit through their sweat equity they they put in at that lower tier. So the entire system is built on that idea, and that is that people have an opportunity to participate and qualify for giant tournament purses with a small entry fee. And having said that, if you wanted to qualify for a Tier 4 tournament, you could fire 30 barrels at the Tier 1 level and still be getting the right price to pay playing that tournament. You could fire a tier one token 125 times and still be getting the right price at a tier five level. So once people understand the math, then that's fine. The ones that don't understand the math, I'll explain it to them and other players will explain it to them. And over time, people will realize that this is an excellent way to get involved in some really big tournaments.
one of the examples you might use, and not that this is this isn't a gambling uh, site, this is a tournament site, but if you take a look at online poker, you take a look at online poker, and you can get into the World Series of Poker a ten thousand dollar entry. You can start at an eight dollar satellite, you know, and and you can work your way up and work your way up and work your way up, you know. So it gives you a lot of barrels to fire at those lower levels, and hopefully you catch lucky before you're not getting the right price anymore. If that makes sense. Yeah, you know, that kind of fits my personality a little bit, too, because uh, they're having these big $1,000 entry tournaments throughout the country. I don't know if you've seen them, but uh, there was one in Las Vegas. We just had one this weekend in Phoenix, and there's another one coming up in Las Vegas for seven, I think it's a six ninety nine and under. And so I was like a 701 until a couple weeks ago. I joined this new league. I lost a couple games. I went down to like a six ninety seven, right? So I'm, I'm right at the top of that. So logic would have it you know what here's my thousand dollars put me in that puppy that's a lot of money to kick up for a tournament you know even though i might be one of the better players in the tournament so i'm looking around for qualifiers to play in that tournament right to get in that tournament for a lot less than kicking up a thousand dollars so i think that kind of fits a lot of people's mindset working people with families like myself right you know for me to shell out a thousand dollars right now you know i might might as well draw up divorce papers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, it's 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 a lot of money, you know, to come up with. And it's not like you're competing against one person where you might feel good about the matchup. You're competing with a field where things can happen with races that, you know, it, we've all been in those races, right? In the Texas Open, I was in line to play Shane Van Boning if I beat a guy who I out-fargoed by over 50 points. And in the match, he came out and he fired. I was down six nothing. I battled back. I still lost nine to six, you know. But you never know what's going to happen in a tournament. So I like that idea that you can get in for a little less. How would you? How how would a tournament? So somebody from Texas is listening to this. They run tournaments and they're like intrigued. One, how do they find out more information on this? And then two, how do they start hosting these events down there in Texas? Just well, as, an, as an example, it doesn't have to be Texas. Sure, sure. We just I just had, I'll use uh, Michigan as an example. I just got an, an email yesterday from uh, from somebody interested in what we were doing, and so I laid out for them what the format was, um, how, they, how they run a qualifier, and then I sent them some documentation on how it works. And as a tournament director, they don't have to do much. All they have to do is tell me where they want the event, when they want the event, and uh, the, whether they want to play eight ball, nine ball, ten ball, whatever it is, um, you know, which tier level they're doing. If it's if it's inter if they're the first time through, it's going to be that tier one level, of course. Um, and then I take care of the rest. I set up the tournament online. People register for the tournament online. Um, then when it's time to host the tournament, that tournament director that is interested in running these tournaments, um, they run the tournament based on our rules. And then all they do is submit the scores. And then we take care of, we post the scores and everything else, and um, then the players can take, check their token balances the next morning. And, and whoever finished in the top 25%, they have that, that next level token in their account ready to go to the next one. So um, the, the, we, we basically have a tournament director how it works program that we can put anybody um, you know, in line um, to start hosting events. Um, you know, and, and, and one of the things that I want to start promoting because I feel like it works is, you know, we got Joe Cooper out there in South Dakota, for example. Um, you know, he's gung-ho about it. And there's a lot of players up there that are thrilled that, I'm do that we're doing this. Um, so what I did is I put together, you know, as soon as we saw a concentration of participation, I announced an $8,000 32-player Tier 3 tournament. 
So, like, let's say, you know, if you want to do something in Texas, or let's use you, for example, you want to do something down in the Phoenix area. Um, we get we get a high concentration of players, and, uh, you know, if we see something, oh, well, let's throw out a Tier 3 introductory turn. Let's get some people paid. You know, let's get that participant. Let's give people something to shoot for. Then they'll really understand. It's going to take a little time before everybody understands the way this structure works. But once they do, they're gonna, I believe that they'll be hooked. I believe that they'll understand that it's a very it's a functional and sustainable tournament structure. Yeah, so as it is, I could start a tournament tomorrow and people could start earning tokens, uh, tier one tokens and tier two tokens, et cetera. And, and now they could travel to Colorado or South Dakota and play in one of those bigger events. But as you see the state start to get the momentum, then you would announce a tournament in that general area. Is that a good recap? That's exactly right. So what we've done in, uh, I started this on October 20th, and for February of 2021, we have $28,000 worth of tournaments announced. The goal is going to be around the country all the time, every, month after month after month, for there to be Tier 4, Tier 5, and even Tier 3 events available for, you know, with cash prizes, you know, um, pretty good cash awards as well, um, all the time. And what we'd like the goal to be is to be about $50,000 a month in tournaments that we have all over the country, whether it's a $4,000 tournament in Arizona or a, an $8,000 tournament in South Dakota or a $16,000 tournament in Miami. You know, like it, it, wherever, I want people to be able to look at the board, see what we've announced, and then work toward getting themselves into that event. If, the, if a woman down in Arizona sees that we posted a women's only event, you know, in Sacramento, for example, um, she can work toward, through the qualifying structure, she can work toward getting a token for that event, go travel up and play and compete. Um, the tokens are universal. So if you win a token in Arizona, it can be used in any state. If you win a 10-ball tournament and get a token, you can use that token for an 8-ball tournament tomorrow. That, there's, it's not limited in that way. It's only limited by the parameters of that tournament, Fargo rating or, you know, female or even, are you going to have juniors events? I would love to create a juniors event, but one of the things that I want to do is I want that to be more of a, uh, um, my way to help grow the sport. Um, I don't want juniors to have to um, get invested for a lot of money to get involved in these things. Um, it's hard enough, you know, um, to, to get started and, and for parents to be able to commit um, with the way the economy is now, you never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, it, it's it, what I would like to see is I'd like to see juniors qualify through a series of, of free tournaments that we host that, you know, maybe my guy Danny Olson gets down and, you know, and, and helps us promote, you know, because he's all about the youth programs and everything else. You know, that's what that's my dream for the juniors is, is to create something really fun. Um, the it's it's a it. It, to me, it's really important that if I, if you take like Kelly Fisher and I were having a conversation about this, the culture of the way we do things here versus the way people do it on other parts of the world. You know, the way we teach here is different. The way people grow up in this game here is different. And uh, um, I would love to see juniors have the opportunity to compete at the highest levels mm. against the best competition in the country, but without having to break their bank to get there or have to travel 16 hours for a tournament. Yeah. So, so, so do tournament directors have discretion uh, as to how they want to run their own uh, tier one tournaments, tier two tournaments, et cetera, or is there standardization across your events? 
Well, we, we try to standardize it as best we can, but we also want to leave it flexible for the player, or for the director, rather. Um, if they have players that like double elimination, um, as opposed to single elimination, it takes longer to run those tournaments, but if that's what the players want, then we give them the discretion to do that. Um, we, we offer guidelines, and then they can let us know what they're thinking, and we're happy to adjust based on, based on the market. Um, the other thing that is, is important to know about the way that the, uh, um, the, way the tournaments are structured is the, the tournament director has discretion with handicap as well. So we say we're going to Fargo all these tournaments. Well, we can't in the beginning because not everybody has an established Fargo rating. So I give the tournament directors discretion on known ability. We use Fargo where it makes sense, but the tournament director is allowed to say, no, uh -uh. You, you shouldn't have to give that guy two games, you know, um, and, you know, this is going to be a 6-5 race, not a 6-4 race or whatever. They have that discretion. And I think that's important because as the, um, as the handicapping be, be, the handicap is going to become really critical in the cash tournaments. Um, the qualifiers, people don't take it nearly as seriously. You know, for a thirty-dollar tournament, you won't take it nearly as seriously as a tier five million-dollar tournament. So we have to be very, very careful and very um, uh, structured in the way that we do that. Yeah, and I'm going to ask this just because other people are going to ask this. So, you know, I recently went out to Maryland and played with my brother in a scotch doubles tournament. Fargo rate is not a big thing there. It's all known ability and, you know, this guy plays a ball better than this guy. And so I think one of the fears that players might have is Arizona is all Fargo rate. You know, everybody's got a Fargo rate. Everybody plays, you know, and, and everybody's clocked, right? And so somebody advances, let's say to that 550 and under, I, I start running these qualifiers and, you know, we get a bunch of people qualified and they're ready to go out to that 550 and under. And at the same time, Maryland does too, right? But they don't have Fargo rating, right? And now they're sending people with tier three tokens out that are supposed to be 550 and under, but it kind of leads to a situation where, you know, the Arizona people are going to be like, they're not established Fargos, you know, because they take it serious down here, you know? So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's a really good question, a really important question. Um, the one thing that we did do when I put this business together um, is that one of the very first emails that went out was to Mike Page at Fargo. Um, and, uh, you know, it was the, the conversation with myself. You know, I'm the only partner in this business, but the conversation I had to have with myself was, um, do I spend money, invest money, and try and develop a handicapping system? Or do I work toward working with an existing handicapping system? And in my view, Fargo is a, a pretty good standard um, to, to go off of. It's, it is right a lot more than it's wrong. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I hit up Mike and I said, I'd like to report, you know, I'm, I'm working on this little tournament company, you know, and I'd like to, I'd like to be able to report our, our, our uh, scores to you and our matches to you so that people get established through Fargo. Um, because without that, I don't feel like this is going to, this is going to work out too well. If, you know, if he said no, I was going to have to develop my own handicapping system. Um, but he said, yep, we can do that. And uh, so now I'm just, all I'm waiting for is the upload. He, all he has to do is tell me how he wants the data uploaded. But we saved, we've saved every score since we started. And so those will get uploaded. Now, if someone starts in Maryland um, and they don't have a Fargo, well, they'll probably have a Fargo rate by the time they get to Arizona. Because to get to Tier 2, you know, you, you're going to probably, you know, you have to play at least one tournament. Um, to get to Tier 3, you're going to have to play at least one Tier 2 and so on. And uh, so we'll, we'll be able to do that. Now, what I have said is at the Tier 4 level, at the tier four level, there will be no one 
that isn't established through Fargo that can play in a cash tournament. So tier four and up. Okay. So yeah, because it's really important. You've got to be established. Yeah. Um, and, and as we develop this further and further, we may even make a rule where you, in order to play a tier five, you've got to be not only be established, but you've got to have at least 500 games, not 200. Yeah. Um, the money is too too big to not be paying really close attention. Yeah. The other thing that we have is um, in, within our, if you take a look at the tournament guidelines and take a look at the stuff on the website, um, as a tournament director, um, Havoc has the, uh, has the discretion where we can take a look at someone's handicap and we can say, no, uh-uh, you can't play at that level. Yeah. And we can put them somewhere. And if they don't have an established and we decide that Fargo is required, um, but we want to let them play, the, the starter rating is not 525, it's 650 yeah. for men and 550 for women. So it's 125 points higher than the Fargo standard for starter rating because we just don't want someone coming in and stealing a turn. Yeah. Well, you know, I think those are some good answers. And the fact that, you know, the critics of Fargo rate, it's interesting because, you know, you got these places in the country where people kind of make these decisions about, you know, Chad plays a ball below or above Joey. And, you know, and so now there's a system that uses data. And whenever somebody questions it, the answer is always like, well, there's not enough data, right? So like their criticism of it is, oh, it doesn't work in this state. Well, because they're not contributing data. So you got people who are out of line because they've only got 60 games in the system. And so the answer to that, I've said it before, I've had the Fargo guys on, is not to, to ditch the system. It's get more data in it. You know, why not? And so I, I like that you're submitting the data and it's a statistical algorithm, right? It's not like Joe and, and Chad sitting here and kind of pinpointing who's going to be what rating. You know, it's it's actually got some some science behind it. So I think that's pretty cool. And I'll tell you, in a state like Arizona, where everything is Fargo rate, you're you're going to have a very hard time finding somebody with over 200 games in that's off by more than 10, 15 points. It's just it's just the way it is. You know, I've observed it. Yeah, it's accurate. The, um, the reality is, um, I mean, if, if chess can do it because it's based on the same same you know uh, principles. Um, they've got a lot of good data, and I'm telling you, it is absolutely right more than it's wrong. All you have to do is take a look. Somebody, I wish I had it in front of me. Um, somebody did a, a, an analysis of the Texas Open that you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you managed to catch that on, uh, somebody put it up on social media somewhere, but they did an analysis based on Fargo rate on how people placed in that tournament. Pretty accurate. It's mind-boggling mind yeah. how you just run it on down the line. Like everybody, everybody finished where they were supposed to, yeah. like eighty-seven percent of the time. Yeah. You know, like it was just a, I mean, I think the number was like eighty-seven percent. That is a very accurate rating system. Well, just and look I'm, at the world and U.S. top lists. If you look at them, I mean, it's hard to argue. You might be able to say, "Oh, well, this one's should be above that one," but relatively speaking, if you look at like the top fifty in the world or the top fifty in the U.S., I mean, you have a hard time arguing that. People should be different, you know, when you look at the pros. I think you're I think you're exactly right because they have you know why? They have all the data. Yeah. They thousands. So thousands. Yeah, thousands yeah. of games data. Yeah. Yeah. So you take a look at like a guy like me who I, I wanna say I probably have like nine hundred games or something like that in Fargo. Um, you take a look at somebody that has three hundred. Well their score is gonna wildly fluctuate until they get to nine hundred. My score moves a point. Here and there, 
regard, you know, and, uh, and, and, and if you take a look at, uh, you know, somebody like Shane or Dennis or Roberto or, you know, they have thousands of games in that system, it's going to move a fraction of a point. Yeah. You know, so as people get stabilized and normalized within this handicapping system, um, it, it, it tells the truth. Yeah. And, you know, I trust it, um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm thrilled to, you know, to get, you know, get these scores updated in there so people can start seeing it work. Yeah, and it, yeah, and I, I've already interviewed the Fargo guys, so this isn't, isn't about Fargo. It's just about the fact that you're adopting it and submitting scores to it. I think that's a really good thing. So one thing I'm I'm curious about: How do you think the pros are going to accept this model? Um, well, they aren't going to like it, um, and the reason I say that is it's going to be hard for them to qualify. Um, if you think about it, you're going to sign up for a tier one tournament or a tier three tournament. It shows the tournament uh, players on as soon as you sign up, your name pops up as registered for the event. So unless Shane Van Boning happens to be in Sioux Falls, South Dakota this Sunday, and he is the absolute 16th player to come in and sign up for a tournament, he's going to have a hard time getting anybody to want to play if he's the first one to sign up. So they're probably going to have to play each other if they want to participate. Secondly, I would say if they do sign up, they hate it, and I'll tell you why. Um, <laughs> well, look what Shane. Shane. Um, well, it's a challenge. It's they're not stealing. Um, Shane and I. It's like a sixteen-nine race, alternate break. Yeah. You know, let's play bar table. Let's play bar table nine ball, Joey. Sixteen-nine race. You know, alternate break. He can't like it. You know, um, if uh, for example, if Abby, you know, my wife played Shane in the million-dollar tournament, it's twenty to four. Mm alternate break, and there's no three-foul rule. So what we've done is we've taken away some of the things that are advantageous to the better player. So um, the alternate break um, is one that, that provides an, you know, doesn't provide an, an additional advantage to the, to the top player. The three-foul rule being gone is absolutely something that takes away from the top player. Um, and then the other thing we're going to be doing for our cash events um, for rotation um, is we're going to be randomly generating the rack for each match. So um, they, pattern racking is another thing that gives them a huge advantage, correct? So what we're going to do is we'll have our computer, when it spits out the scorecard, it'll give you the rack pattern for that match, and you have to do that rack pattern every time. Mm. You also have to use a template rack, so you can't gap the rack a certain way. You can't, do certain, you can't manipulate the rack. Now, these guys are amazing, and they'll probably figure it out halfway through, but they, they can't just out of the jump, just, you know, just right out of the gate, you know, put the pattern in that's best for them for that particular table in those conditions. So that that's what we've done to try to level the playing field a little bit. So obviously this stands to grow the game, you know, from the amateur ranks, but what do you say to those folks that say, well, yeah, but, you know, it's not really doing much for the professional players? Well, what I say is it starts from the ground up. That's what I say. Um, you know, you don't, you can't have the NFL can't be a nine billion dollar business or whatever it is without fans. Okay. Yeah. Um, you, you first you got to have Pop Warner football, and you know, then you got to have high school football. Then you know, Friday Night Lights in Texas. Then you get to the college ranks, and you get to the NFL. You know, the NFL that it, it, it's a good example of how it starts at the bottom. Major League Baseball, it starts with the farm system as you get to the professional levels. Um, you know, the NBA, basically the farm system is college basketball. Um, you know, and, and without, the, without the foundation underneath them, the pros have no chance. Um, you know, Snooker's done it really, really well with their qualifying. Um, if you take a look at uh, uh, USGA, 
um, the way that they handicap golfers and the way you go through Q school. Um, it doesn't start at the top. You, if you're lucky enough to get to the top, then that's great. But or, or you work hard enough to get to the top. But it doesn't. It doesn't start without fans, and it doesn't start without the amateur player and 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 amateur participant. So the goal for me is to grow the sport from the bottom up, not from the top down. I can't convince somebody that's never played pool before to come in because Shane Van Boning happens to walk in the room and then decide, oh, this is a game I should play because this top professional is in here. That's not that that doesn't that, there's so many leaps in logic with that philosophy that um, that I just discard it. And what I think is that the professional players, we use them as ambassadors for the sport to create an environment where the fan will be engaging or engaged um, and build the amateur participation. If we do those things, then the professionals will be taken care of. Um, you know that they'll have their moments, they'll have their opportunities and um, and and that, to me, the way to grow the professional success of this sport is through outside money. You aren't going to get outside sponsorship without an increase in participation at the lower levels, because everybody knows that the consumers are the fans, right? So if you look at go out and get a big big Budweiser or Toyota or Home Depot or, you know, one of these giant, giant companies that sponsor NASCAR and the NFL and Major League Baseball, you want to go out and get one of those, um, you've got to have a solid fan base. Yeah. And right now, what we have are some. We don't have a lot of people that, you know, that that are participating in that way. That's an excellent point. And I was talking, I don't know if you know Marcus Lynch up in Colorado. We were talking about an idea and uh, what Marcus said, I thought was pretty profound, which is that like how many people, if you walk into a pool room in the United States on an APA night, you know, or a VNEA or whatever league it is, and you go around and, and ask them who Shane Van Boning is, so many of them won't even know. They have no idea. Right. In fact, whenever I'm, I travel a lot for my day job, I'm on an airplane and people find out I play pool. We have a little conversation. They're like, the first thing they say is, oh, do you know Jeanette Lee, the Black Widow? And I'm like, how long has it been since Jeanette Lee was like on television? You know, but like, that's what people remember. They don't they don't know any of the pro players that are out there now competing. And so that's a that's an interesting thought and growing it from the bottom up, the grassroots type of effort. I like that. So it's, I think it's necessary. I had, uh, last year I had Johnny and Rodney out. Um, we, we were running from pool room to pool room doing all kinds of fun stuff. And, um, we ended up in a little, uh, a little bar in, in, uh, in Denver, north of Denver, um, in federal Heights. Um, I won't name the name of the bar because I, I don't want them to feel bad about what happened, but we walked in the door. <laughs> no, walk in the door, but it's just, it's, it's a testament to what you're saying. Walk in the door on a Friday night. That place is this is pre-COVID, so it's 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 absolutely packed in there. All right, uh, and they've got league night going. Every single table, I mean, they're just packed. And I, Johnny and Rodney and I walk in the door, and then the owner of the pool room gets on the PA and says, "Hey, um, if anybody wants an autograph or a picture or would like to play a game, uh, we've got Johnny Archer and Rodney Morris in the house." You know, between them, they've got, you know, 20, what is it, 28 Moscone Cup appearances or something like that, you know, MVPs, U.S. nine ball championships. I mean, you talk about the pedigree of the yeah. two players walking in the door is insane, right? Now, I think two people walked up and said, you know, nice to meet you or something like that. Everybody else was just like, who's that? Wow. You know, so the game, the game has lost touch with the professional. Yeah. 
you know, and, uh, um, and, and the way the re there's two reasons for that in my view. Number one is they don't have an opportunity for fame outside of the game because no one's going to get them on TV. No one's going to put them on the cover of a magazine. No one's going to have them repping their brand that has nothing to do with pool. Um, you know, that, that, that's, that's one reason. Then the other reason is, and maybe it's because of that reason, um, they're too approachable. Um, you can get too close to them. How crazy is it that I can just get on the phone and call Shane and ask him to come down and play me some sets? Yeah. Tiger Woods. What if I wanted to play Tiger Woods nine holes of golf? It doesn't work that way, right? The biggest surprise I had in doing this, Chad, was, you know, when I start this podcast, what happens if nobody will talk to me? What happens if, you know, I'm, I'm asking people, hey, will you do this interview? And they say no. And I started with Mike Davis because I'm really good friends with him. And I knew he'd do it, you know. And it's it's been the complete opposite. Every single person that I've asked has said either, yes, let's do it. Or yes, but I'm a little busy right now. Can we wait a month or two? You know, and with one exception, there was one player who contractually had something going on. Um, and it just, you know, the, the real hard part for me has been the technology, right? You know, Zoom calls and stuff with folks who oftentimes don't have computers or a stable setup, you know, and um, I was just really surprised by that. But it made me think, like, the reason I'm doing this, the reason you're doing what you're doing is because of this very issue, right? They should not be that accessible. You know, it's great for us who, who are, we're fans of them and we like to chat with them and see them at a tournament. But the reality is that Shane Van Boning probably shouldn't have taken your phone call. <laughs> you know, he should have been busy off with Toyota on a photo shoot or, you know, somewhere doing some big promotional thing, you know? And so yeah. I'm hoping that, yeah, that, you know, by the efforts of, you know, a lot of people that we can really raise the profile of the game. So I wanted to uh, give you a chance to share with the audience uh, how they get a hold of you, how they find out more information, you know, your your website, that type of thing. So go ahead and share that for us. Sure. Well, the first thing is uh, it's www.havocbilliards.com. Um, they can find me through Facebook just Chad Shoulders, or they can find me through our Havoc Productions page. Um, I'm pretty accessible um, in any of those ways. They can also email info at HavocBilliards.com and, uh, and, and ask me any questions. The one thing that I would say, um, if, you want, if they want to check out the website, there's a few things to take a look at. Um, what we did is we developed a pretty extensive FAQ page that answers a lot of questions that people might have on how to get started. Um, including being a tournament director on how to get started. Um, there's also a tournament guidelines page, which should give you an idea of how the qualifier tournaments work as opposed to the cash events. Um, and then there's also some details on the main event page um, for the million dollar tournament that we want to host that would give you an idea of the format that we're going to be using for that event. Um, those are great places to start, um, but I'm, I'm very accessible. You know, you think Shane Van Boning's accessible. I'm really accessible, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chad, I really appreciate your time. I'm excited about what you're doing. You know, and like I said, you know, the success that you have, that I have, that other people, other podcasters, Nate, out to queue it up, you know, um, other people trying to do these these new ventures, you know, it's all leading to, to good things for the sport. And so, um, you know, I wish you all the best. I want to give you an opportunity to kind of leave 
the viewers, the audience with um, just some last words about Havoc and, and um, your words of wisdom. Well, what I think is it's um, this, the whole company is designed to help grow the sport, um, not just as a player and a competitor, um, but also as a promoter. Um, if you're a streamer, um, I want to talk to you. You know, if you're a podcaster, I want to talk to you. If you are a term director or a pool room owner, I want to talk to you. I want to help figure out how to make the game better in your area. I want to figure out how to make some money for you in that area. And I want to help create opportunities for people in all areas. Um, and, uh, and the other thing is that people have ideas on what they think I can be doing better along the way. I'd love to hear it. I'm always listening. Um, you know, the, some of the best, best advice I've gotten, I've, I've received from people along the, along the way were things that I didn't think about in the original business model. Um, and, and I really appreciate it. And those guys know who they are. And, um, you know, but I'm really looking forward to what's going to happen with this. Um, I feel like it's solid, sustainable, um, and I think it can change the game. I think, I think it really can change the game, the way that people look at competition um, and, and understand handicapping and create some fairness in the sport. Because without the fairness in the sport, we can't grow the sport. So, um, and I, I, I will tell you, I really appreciate you having me on. And, um, and uh, you know, if there's anything I can do to help support you that I'm not doing, I'd love to know because I think um, I love the industry edition and I love the player edition. I love the division between the two. And you know, and, and, and I say keep up the good work, buddy.